0: Welcome to Let's Keep the Amazing in Grace, Session 10, the final one. This one is entitled, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Now being the last one, there were a lot of scriptures that I wanted to pull into this, but I went with my heart and I ended up with basically two parts. One is the peace that is our inheritance in Jesus and just a bunch of stories about Jesus. Because the more we look at Jesus, the more we're going to experience His peace. The more we look at Jesus, the more we're going to be changed from the inside out. And the more we look at Jesus, the more we're going to know that we're loved, that we're cared for, and that we're protected. So I think beholding Jesus is the most practical thing that we can do. And it's so important when we're facing Challenges in life, to be able to see Him in His Word and to hear Him in our hearts. And one of my favorites is John 14. These are the Master's words, and sometimes I say them out loud just so I can hear His words. I'm that kind of learner. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now when he said, peace I leave with you, that word leave means bequeath. It means somebody leaves and leaves something behind. So peace is our inheritance. And he says, my peace I give to you. Now that word give means supply. He supplies us with peace. And how did he do that? He gave us the Holy Spirit. That's how We find peace is from the inside and he supplies all the peace that we need for every challenge. So of everything that he could have left us, he left us with the most valuable, the most useful thing that he could. And that was his peace. Now he would have used the word shalom with his Jewish disciples, right? Now what that word means, I I want everybody to look it up in Strong's Concordance. the, The definition is much longer than what I'm going to give you. But here are a few of the words wholeness, safety, favor, completeness, soundness, health, prosperity, contentment, joy, rest. I can't think of anything missing from that list that we would need. So he says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. So the peace that Jesus gives us is not a spa treatment. It's not a beach vacation, as wonderful as those are. We're going to take one for Thanksgiving. It's not a good novel that we can lose ourselves in. It's not a glass of wine that will numb the senses. Because all those things might give a temporary feeling of peace, but it doesn't last. You have to come back from vacation. So the peace that Jesus gives is strong, it's resilient, it's long-lasting because it's not dependent on our circumstances Or our emotions. He says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So this is a command. This is an imperative. Let not your heart be troubled. That's the only thing He's asking us to do. Guard our hearts. We guard the inside. He guards everything on the outside. And nobody can let not for us. I'm the only one that can guard my own heart. You guys can't do it for me. You can help me to see Jesus. (laughs) But I'm the only one that can guard my heart. All the troubles are on the outside, but peace comes from the inside. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And that tells me that being troubled is the first step to falling into fear, into that paralyzing fear. So if we never let our hearts get troubled, we'll never be afraid. I think that's amazing. We have that option in life. I do not have to be afraid. But if I do become afraid, and I have been afraid before, it's the same answer. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And remember, if there's anything I, I would want everyone to remember, is that the peace that Jesus gives us begins in our conscience, knowing we are right with God, that God is on our side and He proved it by sending Jesus and knowing that He is going to see us through any trial. In Romans 5, the first two verses, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have been made right with God by faith, therefore we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ That's talking about peace in our conscience, knowing we're holy and righteous and blameless and faultless and redeemed by His blood. And it's through Jesus that we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We're standing on grace ground. And what is that foundation? The person and the work of Jesus Christ, the finished work of Jesus. So beholding Jesus... One of the best ways you can behold Jesus is simply reading the Gospels and just looking at how Jesus lived his life. That one exercise can transform us effortlessly. And so we're going to look at a couple of days in the life of Jesus from Mark 4 and 5. Now, why did I pick these stories? Well, because in the early days of my grace awakening, for whatever reason, these stories deeply touched me. And it's kind of sentimental to me. But I'm not even going to be, I'm just going to surf, do the surface of these stories. There's so many details. And if I didn't have to keep this in a short period of time, I could go on so many rabbit holes with pretty much every word. <laughs> but that's, that's the way it is. It's a treasure hunt that we can go on for the rest of our lives. So anyway, in Mark 4, he starts out his day by preaching to multitudes. And he's preaching all these parables. And then, I'm sure that took several hours, and he's in a boat. He's preaching from a boat in the lake of Genesaret there on the shore. And then afterwards, he goes and meets with his disciples and he explains all these parables. And then, when evening comes, they get into a boat, and Jesus says, We're going to go to the other side, because he knows who's on the other side. It's the Gadarene demoniac. So... He says in verse 35 of chapter 4, he says, Let us cross over to the other side. I stop there every time. You want to know why? Because I know they're getting ready to to get caught up in a storm. And if they had remembered those words, there's enough power in those words to ensure they're going to get to the other side. So in verse 37, it says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling up with water. I love this part. But Jesus was in the stern He was tired. So he fell asleep on a pillow. That's one of my all time favorite Bible tidbits is that Jesus fell asleep on a pillow. Now they all should have grabbed their pillows and laid down with him, but that's not what they did. It says, uh, it says they woke him up and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So here they are accusing him of not caring about them when he's been caring about them all this time, but he didn't rebuke them. He rebuked The wind, it says he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And I love the fact that it wasn't the howling wind that woke him up. It was the cry of his beloved. Because he's right there with them in the storm, even though they didn't have any faith. He still fixed it. So if he's with us in the storm, and he is, We ought to yoke ourselves with him. We ought to grab our pillows and take a rest with him. Because if he says we're going to get to the other side of this storm, we're going to get there. But he says to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? You know, he's asking that question because by now they've seen him perform many, many miracles. How many miracles does God have to perform in our lives before we begin trusting him? And just because we get caught up in a storm doesn't mean he doesn't care for us. This story tells us, tells me that it just means that he's going to intervene and he's going to do a miracle. I believe that. So they get to the other side and Jesus gets out of the boat all by himself and he leaves the disciples in the boat and he encounters the most demon possessed man in the Bible, the Gadarene demoniac. And he said, he casts out this unclean spirit, but he asks, What's your name? And the spirit says, My name is Legion, for we are many. So a legion was a term for a military unit with thousands of soldiers. This man was possessed with thousands of demons. And he commanded them to come out, and they begged to be put in this herd of 2,000 swine. And he says, okay. And so they jump into the swine, and the pigs violently run over a cliff and are drowned into the sea. And everybody hears about it, and all the people come. And in Mark 5:15, this is my favorite verse of this story. They saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion. Now he's sitting, a picture of rest clothed, all of his shame is gone, and he's in his right mind. The kindness of the Lord leads us to change our minds. And Jesus was the kindest person this man had ever met. And He wanted to go with them, but this is what Jesus said. He says, I want you to go home to your friends and tell them what great (laughs) things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion on you. And he departed, and this man began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And everybody marveled. So they went back. He gets back in the boat. They go back. And I think about this. They went all that way through the storm for one person. And then they went back. All that trouble they went to. But how many people heard how wonderful Jesus is? So they get back to the other side. They get out of the boat, and a multitude of people comes to come around Jesus. And this is when the synagogue ruler, Jairus, comes up to Jesus and begs him to heal his little 12-year-old girl who is dying. So he starts heading toward Jairus' house, and this woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years comes up behind him, and she has this incurable disease. And she has spent everything she has on doctors, but she just kept getting worse. So she's broke. She's desperate. She comes up behind Jesus and she's thinking, if I can only touch His clothes, I shall be made well. Now there's a lot I could tell you about this story, but I'm just going to keep it simple. She's breaking the law by doing this because she's bleeding. She's been isolated for 12 years because when a woman was bleeding, she was considered unclean. She didn't have anything to lose. She was desperate. So she touched His robe and verse 29, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Now, I just looked that up today because there's a lot of words for healing in this passage. This one is one i would never heard of before. Eha, It just means cured. Okay. She was cured of her affliction. And then Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, he turned around in the crowd and he said, Who touched my clothes? Now, I want you to think about it. He stops and he turns around. He's supposed to be heading to this house call of this little girl on her deathbed. And he stops. Isn't this urgent? Why? Isn't this situation demanding that he keep moving? Well, you know what? Jesus doesn't operate under demand. And he only does what he sees the Father do. And I know that's true because he said so. In John chapter five, verse 19, he says, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever the father does. The son also does in like manner. So you know what that tells me? Jesus saw the father healing this woman with the issue of blood. He saw the father stop, turn around and talk to her. That's why he did it. So we don't have to ever worry. Even if the situation seems hopeless, we don't have to worry that Jesus will ever be late. The woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I broke the law. I came out in public and I shouldn't have. And then I touched your robe and then I was healed. And he said to her, daughter. Now, this is the only woman that Jesus ever directly addressed as daughter in the scriptures. This lawbreaker, he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now that's a little confusing if she's already well. Why does she need to go and be healed? Well, it's interesting because it's two different words for healing here. Made well is the Greek word sozo. It means the blood dried up and she was made well from the disease and she would have no further issues with this disease. But the other word, be healed, is a different Greek word Hoogies, and that one means to restore what was lost. Now that word is used in Matthew 15. It says, when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, that's hoogies, the lame walking, the blind seeing, they glorified the God of Israel. So maimed, that means you lose a body part or a body part is mutilated. Made whole, hoogies, means that that body part grows back and it's completely restored to like it was before. So what does that mean for this woman? It means she would be restored from all the damage that had been previously caused by this disease. So he says, Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now the word in, there's several words for the word in in Greek. Did you know that? This one is ace, and it literally means into. It's a word they would use, go into a house. So he says, go into peace and be healed, be made whole, be restored. So go into peace, like you'd be going into a house or a dwelling place. I thought, go into shalom like a home. (laughs) (laughs) And she'd be restored, and all the effects of this disease would be completely reversed. She probably wasn't, I'm sure she wasn't able to bear children. Now she would be able to bear children, right? Everything would be reversed and she would be made whole. I believe that's the kind of peace that Jesus left us with. It's the peace that will restore things you never thought could be restored. Things where There's so much damage from the past and you've given up on it. He can restore anything and make it better than it was before. Amen. No matter how long. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years. So while he was still speaking to this woman, some men came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and they said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard that word, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. So when they get to Jairus' house, he takes five people in with him. The parents, Peter, James, and John. And they have to walk by all these people who are wailing loudly and they go into this house and Jesus touches the little 12-year-old girl and he says, little girl, arise. And immediately she started walking. She got up and started walking. Just think about it. I think it's amazing. The next chapter of Mark, we find the account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, this is the only miracle that Jesus performed that is in all four Gospels. Did you know that? I think that's significant for many reasons, but the main reason I think it's significant is because I believe this is a picture of the cross, the broken body of Jesus providing an endless supply of life. So we see In Mark 6, again, a great multitude starts following him. And it says that he was moved with compassion for these people because they were sheep without a shepherd. Now, when the evening came, the disciples wanted to send these people away to go find something to eat. But Jesus wanted to feed them himself. There's a lot of details I'm skipping in this story, but I'm going to get to the crux of it. He's the bread of life. And I believe that he wanted to demonstrate by this miracle that He is extravagantly generous, that He is the source of endless supply, and that He wants us to receive as much of His life as we desire. So He commanded His disciples to make all the people sit down. Sit down, that's a thing I could go off on, but I'm not. We're going to stick to it. Sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. I went ahead and looked up that word rank. I went on a little rabbit hole. You know what that word rank means? It's not that some are more important than the others. It simply means a garden bed. What? A garden bed. A garden bed. And the message says it like this. They looked like a patchwork quilt of wildflowers spread out on the green grass. <laughs> so when Jesus had taken the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people and the two fish He divided among them all. Okay, I'm going to stop. I want you to notice He took, He blessed, He broke, He gave the bread because that's going to come up in a minute. Now, I used to teach this passage that Jesus gave the disciples the bread and it multiplied in their hands. Now that was kind of like, if you have enough faith, <laughs> he'll multiply. Whatever's in your hands, he'll multiply it. But I got it wrong. That was all about man. If you look at the verb tenses, that's not how it happened. Kenneth Wiest again, his commentary on Mark 6:41. he says those verbs broke and gave. Those two are in different tenses. Broke is in the aorist. Gave is in the imperfect. Now, what does that mean? Aorist means instantaneous an action that was not repeated. Imperfect means a continuous act. So, he broke the bread once and never broke it again. But he gave and gave. The, The giving never stopped. It was continuous. That tells me that the multiplication happened in his hands between the breaking and the giving. And all the disciples had to do was come and get some more. Keep coming back for more to give to the people. Now, Luke 22, at the last supper, I want you all to hear this. He took the bread. He gave thanks, meaning He blessed it. He broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. 1 Corinthians 11 says, this is my body which was broken for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. There are your verbs again. He took, blessed, broke, and gave the bread, his broken body. So the feeding of the 5,000 is giving us a picture of what happened when his body was broken at the cross. His body was broken once. It never was broken again after that. But there is a continuous giving of life from that one act of love. So verse 42, they all ate and were filled. In John's account, it says they ate as much as they wanted. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fish. And those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. Now Matthew's account says, besides the women and children. So you add in the women and children. How many do you think you have? 20,000 or so? It's a lot of people. Interestingly, there's a detail in this story that is only given in John and none of the other Gospels. It's the reason that they gathered up the fragments. John 6, 12. So when they were filled, Jesus said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Now, I think that's the the divine economy of Jesus and there's something about the wisdom of God in that but I want to ask you a question why did Jesus who can multiply food why was he concerned about fragments that were left over I don't know okay that's homework next time we get together you tell me why see there's no end to this right I just saw that today I'd never seen it before We can highlight every single detail and meditate on every word and we never get to the end of it. And, you know, I have often thought about how wonderful it would be to gather a group of people on a regular basis and all we do is go through the stories of Jesus and look at Him like an Emmaus walk. You remember that? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't our hearts just burn within us like those two? You know the story about the two on the road to Emmaus. They said their heart burned within them. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about them for just a second. So these two, they it was after the resurrection and they had been in Jerusalem and they were walking back to Emmaus and Jesus appears to them on the road. But the Bible says that their eyes were refrained from recognizing Him. And He asks them, why are you so sad? And they were shocked. They were like, you haven't heard? And so they t- start telling Everything that had happened that there's Jesus of Nazareth, this man, he was condemned to be crucified and he died and they put him in a tomb. But now the disciples, the 11, you know, because Judas is no longer part of them, right? So the 11 had been talking about how the tomb was empty and how this angels, these two angels had said that he was risen from the dead and they were all confused. They thought that Jesus was going to be the redeemer of Israel. So what in the world is going on? And so He says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, and all the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into His glory? He's saying all these things were predicted. Verse 27, And beginning at Moses, the first five books were written by Moses, the first five books of the Bible, and then all the prophets, in other words, the entire Old Testament, Jesus expounded to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning himself. He said, there I am, there I am, there I am in every scripture. But they didn't know it was him because he had restrained their eyes from knowing who he was. So then they get close to Emmaus. Oh, I want to just tell you why I think this is because I think it applies to us. I believe it was more important that they see him in the word then they see Him in the flesh. Because that's the way it is with us, right? The Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth and testify of Jesus here and here and here and here. I think that's a message for us. And so anyway, they get close to Emmaus and they say, come on in and why don't you stay with us? So He came in with them. In verse 30, it says, Now it came to pass as He sat at the table with them that He took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they knew him. And then he vanished from their sight. Wow. And you know what it says. It says that they ran back to Jerusalem. I wonder, you know, they've walked seven miles. Now they're going to run back seven miles. That's like a half marathon. But anyway, I want to tell y'all I did this today. It's so easy to go on rabbit trails. I thought, okay, when did they see Jesus? In what order did everybody see Jesus? They were the second people to see Jesus. Why would he appear to them before the 11? This is before he came through the walls. I don't know the answer. That's homework. Anyway, they said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? So they go back to Jerusalem. They find the 11 and look at verse 35. They tell them how Jesus was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So when he broke the bread, that's when their eyes were open and they knew who he was and they believed I want y'all to just go read Luke 24 and all the corresponding passages. They still didn't believe even after He came through the walls. And He's like, look at my hands. And it was like, because of the joy they were feeling, they, they couldn't even believe. They were so happy they couldn't even believe. It. Anyway, doesn't make any sense. But there you go, those four verse, those four verbs again. Took, blessed, broke, and gave. Same ones in the feeding of the 5,000. Same at the Last Supper. When we have a revelation of the broken body of Jesus and His shed blood, we're going to truly know Him. And we will believe. And our hearts will burn within us. So, I wish I could spend, you know, I don't know, the rest of my life... Sometimes I think that's that's all I want to do is talk about Jesus and I wish I could tell you all of the stories that has so deeply touched me especially since this revelation of grace cuz I see every story differently now. I used to look for myself in every story and see how I could be a better person. But now I just meditate on him and you know what happens? It becomes so personal. And so I'm I don't have any note I don't have notes of this in yours. I just didn't put y'all notes on this, but I'm going to just tell you some of them real quick if that's okay with you. John 13, the very first verse, is is the one that touches me the most deeply. He loved them to the end. He loves us to the end of our wandering, our wandering, of all our independence and our pride and our faithlessness. He loves us to the end. And then He stoops down to wash our feet, our dirty feet, soiled with the devil's food, the dust of this world, all the lies, all the condemnation that gets, gets us dirty in our walk. And He washes it with the water of His Word, which we know from Ephesians 5, He gave Himself for her. Then He wipes it with the lintion, That's the Greek word, the linen towel. You know what linen represents in the Bible? The gift of Christ's righteousness. He dries our feet so they're not sticky. You walk around in wet feet, they get there sticky, right? In John 10, He's the Good Shepherd. He calls us by name. He came to give us abundant life. John 10, 10, you know that one. Life more abundantly. The very next verse says, The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. Did you know that that word life in verse 11 is not the same Greek word in verse 10? The Good Shepherd lays down His, not Zoe, not God eternal life. He lays down His suke, His natural life, His human life, all His desires, all His emotions, His will. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you. He laid that down so that we could experience His abundant Zoe life eternally. In Matthew 8, there may come a time where one of us is like Peter's mother-in-law. We're lying sick with a fever. And we need help. And Jesus comes in and He touches our hand. And I love that word touch. Hoptimai. One of the definitions is He set it afire. (laughs) You go look up Hoptimai. He touched her hand and set it afire and He healed her. And it says in that next verse says, When evening came, they brought to Him many who were demon-possessed, and He cast out the spirits with a word, and He healed all who were ill. Very next verse is thus to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He himself, N-A-S-B, he himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. In 1995, uh, it's going to take longer if I cry. In 1995, in our Presbyterian church on Lookout Mountain, Tennessee, this group from Nashville came in to do a series, of, a conference of sorts. And they had a session where you, you could bring in the sick to be prayed for. So we took Mark in there. He'd been sick for eight years. Eight years! I never even thought to ask for healing. I thought, we thought for a long time that God sent it until the Bible fell into James 5 a few months earlier. But anyway, the One of those guys from Nashville read this passage over Mark when we prayed for him. Thus to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. That is straight from Isaiah 53. Talking about the great exchange. And I went, there it is. There it is. I knew that I knew that I knew. Jesus was going to take this disease away. He had already taken away 2,000 years ago. I never looked back. 28 years ago, Mark was healed. We can see ourselves in every single story. In John 4, He revealed Himself to this outcast woman by the well as the Savior who knew everything about her and loved her anyway. He loves us no matter what. He knows everything. And then this Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15, she comes to Jesus while He's sitting with His disciples and begs that He would come and and deliver her daughter. And she calls Him son of David, as if she's an Israelite. We don't need to pretend to be something we're not when we come to God. He can see right through it. You know what? Jesus wouldn't have anything to do with that. You know what He called her? A dog. So with all the pretense removed, she came as she was and she says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. He liked that. He said, oh woman, great is your faith. It shall be done to you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. You will never know how much you're loved until you take the mask off with Jesus. You know, when someone loves you warts and all, that's when you know you're truly loved. In Matthew 8, He touched the untouchable, the leper who came to Him and said, If you are willing, you can make me clean. You know, leprosy is a picture of sin in the Bible. You know what Jesus said? I am willing. That's who I am. I am willing. Be cleansed. And He was immediately cleansed. In Mark 6, it says, As many as touched Him were made completely whole. All of them. And I like to say, not those who were confessed up, prayed up, well behaved, and up to date on their tithing. All of them. Because God is good and only good and only has good to give. Do you have a child that's in need of healing, maybe a soul healing, and you can't get him to Jesus. Much as you try, you can't get him there. In John 4, he healed the nobleman's son from afar. Maybe you have a child who's lost or spiritually dead. Jesus healed the widow of Nine's son. Not only healed, Raised him from the dead. And you're going to be like that father in Luke 15 who said, this my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. Luke 15. He told three stories, right? The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. Jesus does not stop until he finds his lost ones. He goes after the least the last, the lost, and the losers. And he gets them and he carries them on his shoulder and he brings them home to a great celebration of friends and family and even the angels in heaven rejoice. In Matthew 13, Jesus is like the man who found a pearl of great price in a field. And he went and sold everything he had to buy the whole field for the one pearl. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is Jesus' treasure? You. Me. He gave everything He had to purchase our freedom. And I believe if I was the only one, He would have died for me. In Matthew 18, He cursed anyone who would cause one of His little ones who believes in him, to lose their faith in sin. He said it would be better for that abuser to have a millstone tied around his neck and be drowned in the sea than to get what he actually deserved. In Matthew 23, he called the hypocrite Pharisees whitewashed walls that looked beautiful on the outside but were full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. In John 8, he said they were of their father, the devil, the father of lies. He's tough. In Luke 22, he predicted that Peter would deny him three times. But the best part of this account is that he told the end of the story first. He said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. I have prayed for you, that your faith should not fail. And when you return to me, strengthen your brethren. Isn't that awesome? In Luke 10, he taught his dear friend Martha a lesson for all of us. He would rather us stop slaving for him and being so worried and troubled about many things and just do the one thing that's needed, sit at his feet and listen to him. In Mark 10, he knew that Bartimaeus was blind, but he still asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He asks me that all the time. What do you want me to do for you? There's something in the answering. In Acts 9, he appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. And he said, oh, it's difficult for you to kick against the goads. It's useless for you to fight against my will. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. In Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord was upon Jesus and anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of His grace. In John 20, the first person who saw Jesus after the resurrection was a woman whom Jesus had delivered from seven demons and had healed of many infirmities. But when she saw Him, she thought He was the gardener. She didn't recognize Him until He said her name. Mary. Isn't that personal? Of all the billions of people in this world, He knows your name. Isaiah 43, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overcome you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God. The Holy One of Israel, your Savior. In John 20, do you know what Mary saw when she looked in the tomb? She saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet of where the body of Jesus had lain. Why are they sitting? There's no other place that angels were sitting the work is finished. Why are you weeping? That's what they said. Why are you weeping? He's risen. I don't know why I'm weeping. Sometimes you weep with joy, right? In John 21, it's my last story. What does the resurrected Jesus look like? Because this was after the resurrection. He is still supplying a boat sinking, net breaking load of 153 fish. I wish I could tell you what that number means, but I'm not right now. And then you see him on the beach making breakfast for his disciples. Always the servant, King of kings and Lord of lords, still serving. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. John 20, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. So as we end this series, Let's Keep the Amazing in Grace, I'm going to leave you with one verse. Now this is a verse. And I'm not going to cry on this one, but my nose is running. This is a verse that I used to sing when I was 12, 13, 14 years old. I, I was really weird. I was real shy. But I, I, we lived in a rural area and uh, had much to do. And Mama brought home an album because she was this was during the Jesus Revolution. And she brought home an album called Sweeter Than Honey. And I used to sing this verse. It was on there. It was just scriptures put to song. I had no idea when I was 12, 13, 14 years old how much I would need this verse down the road. But it has become a life verse for me. Isaiah 26, 3. You, Lord, will keep me in perfect peace. You know what that is in the Hebrew if you look it up? Shalom, shalom. Two shaloms in a row. You, Lord, will keep me in double shalom, when my mind is stayed on you because I trust in you. Amen.